Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. I think that the best product marketing content and product marketers are those that let audience drive the message. I loved this episode. Did you ever meet someone who's truly authentic? They march to their own beat and you just can't help but want to pick up on your own instrument and join in. That's Sandy Hawk. I was just beaming through this whole conversation and talking with her. Just beaming. What a great conversation. Sandy is a product marketer and we dig into this concept of cart before the horse, essentially. When do you actually start marketing a product? Believe it or not, there is no. there are so many times when marketers are required to start marketing something that isn't even usable yet. Seriously. Sandy gives a few examples of when this has happened to her and the challenging outcomes she has faced when this happens. It's a great question, an important question. And Sandy has just the answer. Before we get there, a little bit about Sandy Hawk. Former InfoSec geek turned marketer and energy healing artist, she uses her high emotional intelligence to tune into clients' core needs, whether for creating messaging or for personal transformation. If you need to reach a cybersecurity audience, she's your gal. She can go from the strategic to the tactical and back again without missing a beat. All designed to craft the perfect message that captures your audience and compels them to action. It's the dream, isn't it? It's the dream, the perfect message to really pull your audience in and want to be part of what you're doing. And uh, she's got the answer to this important question of when do you start marketing a product to your audience? Here's my authentic, inspiring, important conversation with Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Thank you for joining me on Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. Hi, Carrie. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you. And for our conversation today, chock full of opinions that we're about to unpack. But before we get there, tell me, Sandy, what's your story? What do you do? And how did you get there? Yeah, I love to explain it. You know, I'm not a big fan of titles because my title doesn't really explain what I do. So I'd much prefer to talk about my world, the world I inhabit. So I'm responsible for crafting, socializing, and amplifying the zero trust story for Cisco. So um, if you, you hear for your podcast is a technical marketing audience, right? Technical marketing folks. So basically I specialize in B2B cybersecurity marketing from the product marketing perspective. But zero trust isn't a product. So that's my challenge. <laughs> that's We're one of there. many challenges. Don't- don't give the game away, Sandy. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't want to kill the kill or Jump bury the lead or, or or you know steal my th- own thunder. Oh, but no. yeah, hopefully that makes sense, Carrie. Hopefully that explanation of my role makes sense. It does. It does. I'm curious as how you got there though. What was your journey in finding this ah. interesting role that you get to uh, enjoy every day? Well, I wish I could say I had planned it, you know, but but life just happens by accident. So like a long ago and far away before there was even this thing called cybersecurity, back in the mid 1990s, there was a company called AOL or American America Online. Dating ourselves. Here we go. I don't want to date, you know, myself, but yeah, that gives you a sense. And of course, I was a little older than adolescent age at the time. So that that tells you how old I am. But I had a friend on Long Beach Island, New Jersey, which is where I grew up. And I needed health insurance desperately because at the time there was no Obamacare and I had a pre-existing condition and no insurance company would cover me. And at the time I was working part-time as a um, over-educated temp in an insurance company, like putting envelopes on stamp, like stamping envelope, you know what I mean? Like somewhere filing and doing various things. Yeah. And I couldn't get insurance to save the life of me. So he's a friend and he's like, you know, I'm hiring. I'm like, well, you work at AOL. What do you do at AOL? And he's like, I'm in charge of this little kind of company inside, like a smaller company inside of AOL. And it's a fire, you know, it's we we do firewall tech support. And um, they had their own proxy-based firewall for the tech folks in, in the audience. And it was basically next-gen firewall technology before they called it next-gen, but it was proxy-based. It was, we were the alternative to Checkpoint stateful inspection and even picks firewall 
which is the company I now work for, Cisco, which is no longer a product at Cisco. But anyway, so uh, I said, I don't know anything about that stuff. I'm a liberal arts degree. You know, I have a liberal arts degree and I have my um, graduate degree in political science. And he's like, it doesn't matter. You'll figure it out. Just come on board. And I started out as an administrator. Like I was basically an office admin, like getting like literally getting coffee for people and maintaining the date, the customer database and um, entertaining customers when they came for training, the sysadmins that would come for training. I would I would get the coffee and I would I would make the training room nice. And then six months later, someone quit. The one other woman on the team quit. And he said, Sandy, you're getting on the phone. You're figuring out how to do tech support. And I was like, Unix, I have to learn Unix system administration, TCP IP, firewall, you know, how to set up a firewall rule base on a firewall that's very difficult to administer because it's proxy based. So every all single- All on the job. No. Yeah, all on the job, all on the job with people from, the, the strange thing, Carrie, too, is we had cu customers that were all on Wall Street. They were basically Wall Street level customers. Like basically those were the folks that, in the wild, wild west of the mid-1990s, when people were using the internet, was a nice to have. And who were the folks that were using it first? It was the financial industry. Yep. And there, so the way the sales folks would sell our services, they would say, oh, you need an internet connection, how fast and how big. So basically what the bandwidth was you needed and how fast the speeds you were willing to pay. And then the next thing, oh, do you want it to be secure? And if they said, yeah, we want it to be secure, then the company, the little skunk sword project department I worked in was what you got. You got the firewall. And if you wanted us to manage it for you, then it became basically the beginning of the MSSP market back pre-2000. Um, so that's where I got my start. That's a really long-winded answer. So you've so been I in cybersecurity essentially since like before it was really even an industry. Yeah. It was the beginning of the interwebs. That's great. Yeah. So it was, um, it was kind of the wild, wild west. I, you would not want to know some of the ways that we maintained um, customers, firewalls, deployments, and how we, well, how we did things. Somewhere. It was, yeah, you did. You did. And thankfully the, the attackers weren't wise to a hip, as hip as they are now, because they're a lot smarter now. And we are too, though. A little too smart. Yeah, exactly. But that's why I have job security. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's unusual to come across. I feel so honored to come across folks who've, you know, been part of this industry for so long because you've really seen the evolution of it. Yeah. And, and where it is today. So what are you working on? You mentioned that you um, socialize and amplify the cybersecurity within Cisco is that yeah, the zero trust story yeah the zero trust story yeah right day so did you so have you always been in cyber then or did you take a break and sort of explore elsewhere and then come back or is it has it always been where your heart is um it I've tried to leave <laughs> Cybersecurity <laughs> burnout is real um, I tried to leave for a while and did something radically different for a bit. Um, I For the last eight years before I started at Cisco, I was a freelance product marketer and in the part-time, and it was part-time. And so in the rest of my time, I actually got training to become a certified um, hypnotherapist, clinical hypnotherapist and um, Reiki practitioner. And so I tried to, I have my own, you know, I have my own business. I have a website, stay tuned to energy healing. If you want to check it out. Yes. I'll have it in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so, um, it's because I just found that like, um, there's a lot of stress and anxiety being a woman in, in this profession and I needed a, a, a pause. I just needed to take a pause. And so I did, I, I took a pause for a little bit became a freelancer and did product marketing as a freelancer. And then I was a little bit more of a free agent, which gave me that time to pursue that personal transformation interest. And I had a bunch of clients and I, I really did try to launch my own private business, but it just, you know, it doesn't pay as well as cybersecurity product marketing. I have a family to support. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I consider my retirement career, my hobby slash retirement career, um, but uh, yeah, so that was something I did pursue. But yeah, other than that, it has been cybersecurity and I've had different roles inside the industry, but it's really been, I've always been on the vendor side. That's one thing that stayed the same is I was a sales engineer for a while. I was a security consultant, security analyst. So customers hired us to come and assess their environments. And I would be the one that would come on board and like scan the network and run, run reports for them. And 
Um, yeah, so I've done a variety of things like that, but I've been in product marketing longer than anything else. And I, I yeah, that I, was my next question of like, how did you yeah. make the leap from sort of this building of firewalls and customer support to becoming a product marketer? Was there yeah. a specific transition that happened for that? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Um, you're, when you're in a 24 by seven security operations center environment, and then I got, it's only so long you can take. And I became the manager of the group of junior engineers. So it was my responsibility to get them from like zero to, to 60 because I did it myself. So my boss was like, well, you figured it out. You can teach them how to do it. I'm like, hmm, okay. Uh, so I was a manager and that meant all I could talk, all I did all day was listen to angry customers and have to train people from zero to 60 and it just stopped being fun. And um, and so then I left to try to stay in security, but be an analyst, meaning not 24 by seven, but more of like on-site support and consultant. We were a consultancy, like a security services company. People would buy us basically to extend their security staff. And we had this thing like a certification process called true secure certification. This was before compliance was a thing. And they would hire us to just endorse that their environment was secure from a physical security standpoint, from, from every avenue. And um, and that was fun. And then I did that for that was like five years of that company. Wow. But the last two years, I was a sales engineer. So I would actually scope and present and sell uh, the solution that I had been delivering for the three years prior. So that's kind of fun is to be on the sales side after delivering something. I mean, who better to sell than the person who was building it and running it to begin with? It exactly. sounds like a natural transition. Yeah, totally. And then there was like a merger there and then they stopped listening to, I, I, I discovered Carrie that I started doing product marketing before it was called product marketing at the <laughs> company because I was a sales engineer with a sales engineer with an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and I would go, I would write up all these reports that no one asked for. And I'd say, we need to change the name of this product to this, you know, we can't call this product perimeter because there is no perimeter. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so then I realized, oh, that's product marketing. Maybe I should really leave. Maybe it's time to leave after five years. Um, and the merger made it easier. And so, then... uh, so I did. And eventually, they got come. They bought, got bought by Verizon Business. Okay. That company, True Secure slash CyberTrust, and then. And uh, yeah, and so the thing is, when you're in this company, this industry, as long as I have been, like, I know so many people. You know, I know it's really a small, like, little mm -hmm. pond I swim in. Um, and so it's most of the jumps I made were people calling me saying, Hey, you need to come over here. So, yeah, so I tried part of marketing at a variety of different companies. Um, and, uh, and then landed here at, at, at Cisco after doing freelance for a while, but yeah, after sales engineer, it was product marketing and it's been, and that was 2005, 2005, gosh. Yeah. So you've been a product marketer for cybersecurity now since 2005. I believe so. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So two questions for you. One is why product marketing? Mm -hmm. I'll start there. Okay. What, what, why? Like you sat and you, you figured out product marketing and then you stuck around. So I stuck around for a long time. Yeah. I'm still stuck around. I wouldn't want to leave. Um, there's so many ways to answer this question, Carrie. Uh, but I'm going to start with the customer. I love I love to be in a marketing domain. I like to, okay, so so product marketers are storytellers. That's the where I probably should start. And I feel like I'm just, I've, I've been always a natural storyteller. Um, I have a guitar behind me. I like to write songs, you know, I like to sing songs. I like to listen to them. My favorite stories are the ones that are character driven, you know? So like, I just, you know, I like stories and product marketers are really the only people inside of a company, especially when you work for a vendor that, um, you know, can tell stories. Um, and I, and I also love supporting sales. I love, um, I loved the sales experience as a sales engineer, but it, it, I, maybe I'm not, I'm too, I'm not tough enough maybe for it or something. <laughs> There's a lot of like highs and lows when you win, but then you lose oh. a deal and you put your heart and soul into it, you know? Oh, or like just the leading up to potentially closing the deal and like, yes. will it or will it not? And then they keep asking more questions. Like, is that a good sign or is that not a good sign? Oh yeah. I'm the same way. Sales is, yeah. oh, the roller coaster of that is really hard. Yeah. It's like being a fan of, you know, like, I don't know the, any Philadelphia team. It's where I grew up. Uh, the Eagles, the Phillies, you know, yes. they're in the world oh, series. They're doing I know so you, good right now. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing well. They're not breaking our heart yet, but let's, yeah, you know, there's still time. 
yeah yeah right exactly it's not over yet um yeah so, so storytelling and product marketing yeah, that's amazing yeah 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 so product marketing so we get to be the advocate for uh for the for the customer and for the seller and product management on the other side is they're they're um i have i have so much respect for product managers because they have such a tough job um because they're the advocate for for the customer to engineering and it reminds me of when i was a waitress being the advocate for the customer at the guest you know guest at the table for the for the chef or the cook because these these chefs and cooks especially the geniuses are not necessarily like you know customer friendly or customer facing <laughs> so you become this filter you know between what's possible with engineering and what the customer wants and often those two things are not very close together but for product marketers we just get to get sales excited about selling the product or the service and um we let the product managers and engineers hash out the details so that's my that's my confession Oh, no, I, I, it's it's just this lovely, um, (laughs) cultivation of all of these things you've done and how it's, how it's your journey of how you've ended up where you are. And so my second question to you is, Mm. and, and we sort of alluded to this, but you know, you keep coming back to cyber. Mm. Um, you sort of took a detour for a second, try and launch your own business. But when you came back, you came back to cyber, not just product marketing, but, but cyber. So why, what keeps pulling you back in to the industry? Um, I like, I like solving problems. I like being part of a solution that solves really important problems for humanity. I mean, you know, you can't really get much bigger than this. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what attracts me to work for a company like Cisco is because for so long, so much of my career was, you know, startup in quotation marks, you know, smaller companies. Mm-hmm. It's only been a handful of publicly traded companies I worked for in my career. Um, but Cisco is in a position to really make a difference on, a problem that needs to be solved to make living as a human on this planet better. In what way? Cybersecurity. Um, cyber as a whole, or is there a specific issue within cyber that you're- Well, when you think about it, it's such a thorny problem. It's like climate. It's like, it, it touches everything. And it's like an inner, it's everything's connected. And when everything's connected, you can't just pigeonhole it and go, oh, it's fixed, solved, sorted, done, move on. Um it's a really important problem to solve across every single industry in every, in every aspect of life, not just technologically wise, but, and so that's not cyber necessarily, but yeah, I mean, it affects all of our life, you know, lives. No, and we pretend it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> then we get into trouble and it's cybersecurity awareness month. The last day, I know this probably won't air until after that, but today is the oh, last day. We're representing. Yes. Um, I didn't know your day's almost over there uh, where it you is. are, but anyway. Um, yeah. So in terms of what, you know, being a product marketer now in cybersecurity, what's one challenge you're currently facing? Um, yeah, being at Cisco, uh, we have a very, very, um, varied and diverse, uh, and really talented and hungry sales force. So we have a lot of different sales teams inside Cisco. Um, and so when folks talk about sales enablement, I always have to double click on it and say, okay, now which sales organization do you mean? Uh, how are they incentivized? You know, sometimes they're incentivized by the solutions they sell, like like a zero trust solution, which comprises more than just one product or service. Sometimes they're just focused on duo security, which is the business unit I happen to be in. Um, and so both of those things I need to enable as a product marketer, that's a different conversation with the customer, very, very, very different type of customer um, and buyer persona. So I think that the best product marketing content and product marketers are those that let audience drive the message. I mean, it's still the same. I'm a musician, so I'm going to go back to this. It's still the same. You're still playing in the same key, meaning it's the same essential story, but you're maybe arriving at at it from a different angle. Maybe you're having um, a faster, uh, maybe you go to the bridge faster than you would. Uh, maybe you have a couple verses. Maybe you have, um, you know what I mean, like a different mm-hmm. tempo. But it's still the same key. So, so it's not like you're changing the story, but you're entering the story in a different way, or you're or you're playing different notes, um, or you're adding intervals in different places that you would normally, because of who you're playing to. Um, and and why is that a challenge with your current sales team? 
because I'm only one person. (laughs) Uh, My manager and I are really the only ones that have zero trust specifically in our title. Do you know what I mean? Like in our Mm -hmm. charter, there are other folks that like other product marketers who are fitting their product inside of the zero trust story, but they're taking direction from us. So we, so it's up to us to make sure that we're scalable and our message is scalable and digestible by each one of those sales teams. And then it's landing in the right way for those customers. Um, so that engineers the- over there, like if you're creating your own little, little decision trees, of <laughs> this is the general message. But if you're talking to this audience, we have these problems and you want yes. this nuance. Yes. This so I could see that being, you sort of got to think through not just the the overarching message, but then how that plays. And to your point too, if they're trying to, you know, if they're on a faster, if they have an existing problem right now and mm-hmm. getting that deal over the line a bit faster versus somebody who's a bit greener and still mulling and and looking at competitors versus it's two totally different tracks. Yes, absolutely. And um, what we found is that there's such an urgency an interest in zero trust and in in um, duo solutions specifically, that we're having to tell um, sellers to how to ignore the stuff you won't win as quickly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like it's almost like you go yeah. here ready. are the here are the fish that can jump in the in the boat fastest, and here's how to get them in the boat fastest. Because and that's a great problem to have, but it's still a problem, right? It's still something to think about. Whereas I have Cisco sellers that need to be enabled to understand zero trust from a more strategic perspective. So, like, which solutions should I play to? Like, which notes do I accent most? Because we know that that's a richer and a faster source to value for the customer. Um, for some customers, it's going to be OT or um, ICS or um, Internet of Things environments, op- operational environments, right? For others, it's going to be IT and it's not always industry vertical alignment there, right? So it's it, it, it's that's uh, that's why it's, it's still fun for me. That's why you asked me why I'm still doing it. It's because it's still challenging and fun. And also we finally have the mic. We finally have the attention of business leaders. We, we, ha- we as security professionals haven't been invited yet to the table and now we're not only being invited we're like given the mic yeah um, so that's Big why time. I want to make yeah and it's exciting to have the mic but now that I have it I want to make sure again that we're giving the message to the right audience so that they can get the most fish in the boat and help the most people and you know achieve that, the outcomes yeah that is exciting totally challenging and with only two people at the helm trying to get the different decision messaging down the tree. Um, yeah, I say there's yeah. only two people at the helm, Carrie, but let's just be let's just be clear. We have a lot of teams that are supportive and like we have, you know, we bring in we just uh, um, updated our messaging. My my boss and I just updated it. But we had like, you know, cross domains from everyone from sales. Oh, of to, course. You have to go out. Yeah, and collect we the had a whole it and then yeah. orchestrate it and then deliver it. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a community. It took a village. It wasn't like Sandy absolutely. coming up with it in a vacuum. It was very much a, a village. It took a, and it took a long time. It took twice as long as I thought it would take. Do you find that it's, if it took twice as long, I, I just wonder if the messaging, I'm sure it's relevant, but I, did you have to go back a little bit, like over it a little bit to refine it? Cause it maybe a little bit went out of date because it took a little we, bit longer than you anticipated. It's a good question. Um, it's such a high level strategic conversation, the zero trust conversation um, that, we had there were a couple of bullet points, you know, like here and there, but mainly it, it was it was still relevant. And um, if anything, uh, I've rolled it out to several customers these days, and I'm I'm continuing to hone it. I think every you know just slightly, iterate, just like iterate. a little bit, you know, yeah. each time. Got to yeah. iterate. All right, my last question in terms of your challenge is: it sounds like at the same time of developing the messaging around the products and for your audience specifically and their challenges, you're also correct me if I'm wrong, because I love being corrected. It's my favorite thing about this. Uh, But it sounds like you're also teaching the sales team a bit on not just the products, but also cyber as a whole, or do you bring in people who are pretty well-versed? 
No, it's a great question you asked. So there's a there's a there's a sales team, the Cisco account manager team that gets to sell everything Cisco sells. Like think switches, think routers, think firewalls, think non-security products, think Wi-Fi access points, WebEx, also collaboration um, tools. Like mm -hmm. so, uh, there's a whole suite of WebEx solutions, hardware and software uh, appliances that they can that they can buy and sell. So security is one small segment of the whole thing they can sell. So they they might have sold it before. They might have had one or two deals in the past, you know, few years. But um, they're they're wide open territory in terms of mind share, like that. I want to capture and say, he, this is what zero trust is, and here's why it's going to be fun for you to sell to it, because it gives you basically a roadmap for security. Um, cause zero trust at the end of the day is just a good way of doing business. It's just, it's just good security. It's thinking about always verifying that someone is who they, they say they are and, and making sure they only get stuff, access to stuff they need to do their job. That's really it. That's all. Um, and it's just really a way of, that's why it's a way of simplifying security so that business leaders see value in it. Um, and I forget what your question was. No, I'm it was just around teaching the sales team about cyber. So you, to your point, yeah. like it's such a small part of what they're actually doing that you do have to educate them on what cybersecurity and zero trust even is for them to, yes. be able to speak thoughtfully to their customers on why they need it. Yeah. And they're not even, and what's so interesting, Carrie, is they're not even needing to tell their customers why they need it. Their customers are saying, we know we need it. I'd love to have this conversation. We know, I just had a meeting with a customer last week, CIO in the public sector, and he said, I need an education on zero trust. Please tell me all about it. Tell me the story. Tell me what Cisco's story is on zero trust. And it was like, ah. <laughs> no, I wish I had that request. I wish I wished every customer came to me and asked me that question because Gosh, that that means they're ready and willing. And he said, you know, I'm unusual. Most CIOs wouldn't admit that they need an education on this stuff, but you know, but he's a very friendly customer of ours, and so it was really nice to hear him ask that question. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. It, so, so the Cisco account managers that can sell anything they want are coming to us and saying, "Hey, my customer wants to look at security. Can you know what can we do?" Well, it sounds like a good challenge to have. Like it's a challenge, but it's not necessarily a it's not a bad challenge. It's it's going in the right direction. But now you have a you have a couple things you need to sort of maneuver to get to make, the other side. Make sure that I can set the table for them so that they can feed their customer, you know, yeah. um the right the right meal at the right time. I'm mixing metaphors. I'm talking about. Yeah, we've got music. Oh, We're having a whole dining experience. This is fantastic. <laughs> we have the ambiance of food and the music. It's great. Um, let's switch gears here and talk about what we want to talk about today. Because I loved our conversation in our prep meeting and you got so fired up because you have all these opinions and I can't wait to unpack them. Um, you know, as cybersecurity continues to grow as an industry, it's exploding mm -hmm. right now. And as more customers are actually saying they need this thing, that's important to the well-being of our global economy and world. There's these com there's these companies that are starting to pop up, right? And yes, from a startup standpoint, they're finding these small challenges that need a solution. They're building the solution and then they're getting it into the world. And then it's being bought out essentially by these other conglomerates that are then sort of stacking there. That's sort of how I've seen the evolution of how cyber sort of moving. Um, yeah, a lot of innovation happens that way. So much innovation. It's nuts. It's great. But there's sort of a point of like, when is too early and when is too late sort of get the product into the hands of the customer and actually start marketing it. Like I yeah. even feel like companies come to us and they're a little too early. They're still pivoting so much around who they are and what they stand for and what the, what solution there is. Their product is still like way in alpha, not even anything so buggy. Nobody can actually use it, but they know that they need to start marketing it because they need more money to actually like go build it. And so it's sort of this like car before the horse thing that happens. So in your experience, yeah. what has that been like for you on that journey and launching these products? I mean, what sort of when have you seen it go too early or too late and what's sort of the the happy medium of when to put get a product into the into the world yeah yeah it's a really good question i think first is to acknowledge the drivers 
right? So oftentimes, um, oftentimes a company will want to show a prototype to gain venture capital, um, right? And mm -hmm. so that's not necessarily that that prototype is ready for prime time or that prototype is ready to sell to a customer and deploy in production. That just means you can sell a, a VC on it. And they'll go, yeah, yeah, I value, you know, and they'll get a good valuation, et cetera. Or you can do it to try to hire an engineering team and say, here, this is what we want to build towards, you know, we're, we're working on getting VC fund, you know, getting excitement about it. Um, that's not a viable product. That's not something that, you know, like, let's be honest, that's just a prototype and let, and be clear about your, um, what your objectives are. Right. And that's a successful prototype, but that's not a product and it's not so ready to market yet. What's what's a successful prototype versus a, like is a successful prototype is it clearly shows what, what it can do, even if you are not, even if it doesn't necessarily work completely on its own, what's, what's I sort think of a prototype it depends product. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I also want to put a caveat on this because when it's a cybersecurity product, um, I'm going to be even more, uh, I'm going to put more stringent controls around what I consider ready for prime time and what I won't consider. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like if it's yeah. a security product, you better be able to demo it to me using real data <laughs> and you got to show me that. Um, that's if it's a security product, right? Right. Now, um, there's a, there's a prototype that you want to do. Say a product, the goal of, there's always a different goal with a, any prototype or any product. So is the goal of the prototype to get VC money? Money, I don't know. Is the goal of the prototype um, to establish that the protocols that we used, there's future uh, in the protocol, like to get excitement about the protocols with the developer community? So to get some momentum around a set of protocols in use for different use cases, um, is that what the prototype goal is? Junin saying. So mm -hmm. like, don't get confused about what the prototype goal is. We we had um, we released and announced a prototype at RSA Cisco a Duo did um, in June, and that was the goal of our prototype was to 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 show the capability and to get more excitement with other vendors around the set of protocols that we that we had for this new standard shared signals it's called so that was the goal of the prototype but if if every time a sales rep came up to me and asked me about it i would say oh you mean the prototype not the product because it's not a product yet it's a prototype so but why would some why would we do that why would we as cisco that sounds do that? really confusing yeah why would we do that? We would do that to get excitement about our vision. And to be honest, rolling out any deployment of security can often take six to eight to 10 to 12 months. And by the time we're ready to go after planning is done and scoping is complete and the, the procurement is complete and the, all the due diligence is done, we're talking large enterprise deals, by then we will have product. And they're going with us because we, and we're putting our credibility when we put out a prototype, we're putting our credibility on the line too, because we're saying, this is the direction we're going and we will get there by this time. Um, as long as we stay to those commitments, I say, okay to market a prototype. As long as you're clear, again, clear about the objectives. And it sounds like you, it's not just, I mean, Cisco is a bit of a different example because you have so much clout in terms of having delivered product after product after product. It's not just a standalone startup trying to market a prototype. Right. That's so true. So startup, it, two things are true, meaning in some ways we have more risks than a startup because we have this rich brand and reputation to maintain. Right. Um, that's va super valuable. Um, but then also with a startup, they can swing for the fences because this is it. They got one hit at bats or a couple, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And VCs, if they can excite a VC, then and um, and then they'll get the investment and they need to hire the engineers to actually make it a reality. Then do you know what I mean? It's yeah, just a, yeah, it, that's yeah. true. It, yeah, I can see that being an interesting it does put it does put Cisco sort of on the line to now like what you can't just market a prototype willy nilly like especially at an event like RSA you have to oh, be yeah. really confident in not only what that product can do but that you're gonna hit those marks in terms of actually oh, yeah. delivering it like you're you you do have more on the line that way especially when you make a big splash at such a big event versus mm -hmm. startups oh yeah that, they're that gonna makes take us to task they're gonna take us to task if we don't meet it. Right. Press will, the analysts will. Yeah. 
we're noticeable. You know what I mean? Like we're the elephant in the room. We got to get it right. Yeah. So when would you, uh, you know, if you're not a big Cisco, when would you market a prototype or would you, or would you just mark, would you just walk, you'd basically just walk around to VCs and say, here's this initial thing I have. Are you interested in helping me? Yeah. Well, I, I, I had a, um, I had a situation in my own personal professional career where I had the CTO who I, who was my boss's boss, who told me that I needed to market something, our product a certain way. And I was like, well, can I demo that functionality? I don't think we can demo that yet. Can we? And he's like, it doesn't matter if we can demo it. I want you to add it to the story. I want you to add it to the messaging now. And, um, and I was like, I'm sorry, but I have this rule that I follow that, I will only market or message something if I can demo it. Because this was also, we were we were actually um, targeting the small and medium business market. So it was really important to be honest with them okay. about what the product could and couldn't do. And I wanted to show everything we said we could do. I wanted to show it in the product. And he said, well, if you won't do it, I'll get a product team who will. I'll get a product marketing team who will. And I was like, okay. This is why it's fun sometimes to be a freelancer because then you can go, oh, okay. You want me to lie? Sorry. Not, not anything I want to do. So it, yeah. so it sounds like even, you know, you have to have a strategy and a vision for even just the prototype before you even, you know, is, yeah. is that when you're marketing a prototype, is it really just about the functionality or is it like your storyteller? So how do you tell that story of something that's like sort of working or will it work in the future? <laughs> well, again, I think you just have to be really clear and crisp about what story you're telling. Is this a vision story? Is this a visionary story? Is this the here's why we're different because we have in a, we have an um uh our perspective is innovative in this way. This is where the roadmap is going. You know, if you use words like roadmap and vision and aspiration, um, and are really clear about the fact that it's not currently on the cart, especially when you're talking to sell salespeople. Um, I mean, you just have to be honest about it. That's all. Uh, but there is a there is a time when um, a vision story is really absolutely needed for big companies, small companies, and everything in between, for sure. You got to get people inspired. Yeah. At any point in time, not just like it can start as soon as you're talking to a VC, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. the why, right? The why you did this thing and why this thing exists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to just... get them interested. And well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's more than you push this button and this thing happens. It's to your point that that aspirational thing. And it always starts with pain, right? It always starts with sad story. Ah, don't we all hate when X, Y, Z? Don't you wish? And then guess what? We have this thing, this magical thing that fixes the thing you wished you had. Guess what? It's here. Let me show you <laughs> how it works. <laughs> we look forward to bringing it to you and the next six to 12 months to come. Right. <laughs> yeah, we can't, we can't take ourselves too seriously, Carrie. We no, not at all. Not at all. The world's too, yeah. too dark and grim for that. We have to keep, keep the, the honesty and humor flowing. Um, so at what point do you translate it, you know, what point does it translate to an actual product that you can market in a in a way like a what when does that flip happen from prototype to working product when you can demo it with real data is that the point where you're like I, okay we have something here yeah proof of concepts you know it's great when you have um I worked at a company big fix a while ago and we had great customer relationships where they were on advisory board where they would try out new versions of our product uh, and they would help us with the direction of the product also. Um, and so they were friendlies. And so when things would blow up, we at least knew that they wouldn't leave us in the lurch, right? Because they they were partners. They were partners with us. So yeah, you got a, a couple customers. Um, I mean, it depends on the the type of product, obviously, and how, and how easy it is to get up and running. But I would recommend um, that, yeah, you just really try to get as many hands on it and different use cases. Uh, QA, the crap out of it. And then, um, and then, yeah, <laughs> make sure you have the licensing set up. It's good to have a setup, if, especially if it's software as a service, as if there's a trial window, you know, automatic trial subscription thing turns on an, on a specific date, it automatically becomes paid. Those sorts of things are all considerations. 
um, before you can consider a product done. Oh, 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 and also I have a friend who's like, it needs to be documented too. It needs to have really great documentation. You know, again, this is a product manager that thinks about all these things. Um, but just at a high level, uh, it's ready when you've tested it and it works as as documented, as promised. I love what you're saying though, even though it's coming, the product mark, the product manager will figure that out. But I think as a product marketer and even a marketing manager, like it's important to know what all those sort of dominoes are mm -hmm. so that if somebody's coming to you and saying, okay, we're ready to market. It's like, great. Do you, let me see the working product with data that with real life data. Let me see the demo. Let me see the free trial. Let me see the oh, documentation. Yes. Like where's, you know, having a clear checklist of like, when is it actually ready? Because if you're about to pour money out into the market and flood oh, it sure. with with free trial users it better be working and not crack. yeah absolutely there's some really great training by the, i think it's product management institute product marketing institute gosh in any case they yeah they have a whole launch strategy training where you learn all the different checklists so making sure that you've set up the website and you've set up the ordering process and you've um, enabled the customers uh, like customer success team and you know all there's like a whole there's a whole launch craft it's not my favorite part of marketing product marketing i'm going to be honest with you uh, but it is absolutely something i respect um it's absolutely needed part of any product marketing team. Yeah, I would think so, especially, you know, when you get to the marketing team and they need to act, make sure it's all measurable, right? Where's all the data going to end up? How do I know that these channels are working and the right deals are coming out the other end? And how is that, you know, MarTech system set up on top of the actual product system? But they can't know that unless they know all the steps to actually go and buy the thing. Yes. And you know, it's important to make the distinction between launch and GA. Oh. So launch is a marketing deliverable and function and GA is a product management deliverable and function. So launching, you can launch before GA, you can launch after GA. Sometimes they happen at the same time. So launch could be, hey, we're going to be GA in a month. Launch could be, we GA'd last month, no one noticed, and now we're having a launch. <laughs> so GA or, is general access. So Yeah, general availability. General, yeah, availability. general availability. So that means I can start buying the thing you're marketing. Yeah. Right. Anybody can start buying the thing. Anybody. Right. It's generally available to anyone. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sometimes sounds... there's some like limitations, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a big moment, like when that launch or no launch the fact that like it's it's a real live thing that people can yes. buy yes absolutely absolutely i've just had folks uh internally get really confused about those two if you're not really clear about what you mean by launch and what you mean by ga because sometimes they happen at the same time sometimes they don't often they don't happen at the same time what's the ideal order it really depends on the kind of um, market con uh, context you're talking about, right? So um, if you have a really competitive, if you're, okay, so a lot of times it's event-driven, like for, for security people, it's the RSA conference in the US here in San Francisco. Um, but, you know, if it's if it could be a trade show that is the uh, impending milestone that you want to build your launch around, Sometimes you even build GA around it sometimes if you can, but hopefully you're not. Hopefully you're letting product management and engineering to decide that stuff uh, for when it's ready, not when RSA happens. But, you know, I worked at startups and how it works. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so I would say it's not for a customer from a vendor standpoint. That's how I'd answer it. From a customer standpoint, I think happening at the same time is optimal. Is it? Because what if if you if you get general access, but then something's broken and you launch it at the same time, isn't there more opportunity for more to go wrong? That's interesting. Um, I was thinking from the standpoint of when I hear something is available, I want it now. I don't want to have to wait or, oh, it was available last month. I could have had it then, you know? Oh, so yeah. I think about it more from a communication standpoint rather than from a product probably breaking on the first rev. You must be a product manager. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. But I just, I, my husband's a developer. And so I just think oh, okay. about when things don't quite go right yes. and, and he's getting, you know, 
you know, pr- you know, Prada's down and things are broken and right. to, that stress and to have that, you know, something's finally accessible to everyone. Great. You know, yeah. I think, I guess, let me ask you this in terms of a launch, how big of a launch do you want to do? Do you want to go all out and make a big splash like at an RSA or do you sort of want to like test the waters and get, you know, make sure your systems are all working and you can sort of create the, get the funnel going and then pour on, you know, pour more in. So so yeah, that's a, it's such a good question, Carrie. Um, Sometimes people do soft launches. Sometimes they'll do a soft launch to, like I mentioned, the customer advisory board or like a bunch of friendlies, you'll do a soft launch and then you'll get, and those are influencers, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. some of them are analysts, some are influencers, and then they get the word out and then they get the word out. And then like a few weeks later, a month later, then there's the bigger push to get it out. So it, it depends. It really depends on, again, what your competitors are doing. A lot of times launches are dictated not by your customer, by your competitor, because you want to steal their thunder or you want to drown out the noise of their, of their announcements. Um, or there's an analyst magic quadrant that came out. Maybe you didn't, you didn't position, you didn't get positions where you wanted and you want to create diversion. So, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why people time their launches the way they do. Um, I hope, I don't know. So yeah, but soft, sometimes soft launch and then like a, like a double punch, you know, a soft and then a, and then a bigger one. Sometimes it's helpful because then you can also test the message on the soft launch and then maybe pivot things around and tweak it a little for the bigger one. This is so fascinating for me because as an agency where, you know, when clients are coming at us a hundred miles an hour for things that they needed yesterday, and we're trying to not necessarily slow their roll, but make sure that we can put all those building blocks in place and be really intentional and thoughtful about it. It's, it's sort of that question that we always sort of ask of like, where's the pressure coming from? Like, why mm-hmm. all of a sudden does it feel like they're going from everything's good, everything's good, everything's good to we need it yesterday. And so this is starting to make a lot of sense in terms of these sort of hot deadlines between the magic quadrant, the, the events between, you know, RSA, Black Hat, uh, the trade shows, like something is creating that energy of like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And it always feels like it's happening a little last minute. It's not, it's just, we're so far down the line, you know, the line of information that it feels that way for us when I'm sure it's happening much faster within the organization. But you know what it could have been, it's like a VP or the CEO or someone said, Hey, what about that thing? And then they're like, Oh yeah, I can talk to you about it. Cause they finally got the execs uh, sponsorship or whatever it is that they need. Yeah. That too. That's so interesting. Yeah. So I just, you know, the idea of as as sitting on the marketing side, we see such a small sliver of how all of these things come together. And so when you start to unpack going from prototype to mm-hmm. launch to general access, like the, and we barely, I feel like we barely scratch the surface of all the moving pieces that really go into that. And then you put these tight deadlines on the edge of it. Of, oh yeah. It just is fascinating. And I could sit here and talk about it all day, but, um, <laughs> I think my audience, our audience is, is like, okay. Um, we can get nerdy though. It's fun. We can totally get nerdy. Oh, this was so, so good, Sandy. I'm so grateful that you joined me and shared what it means to you of like when products should really launch and when that makes sense and how sure. to build that up and, and then when to take it to market. So, mm-hmm. and your challenges of, the sales team. Thank you so much for sharing those with me. Yeah. And if you have any answers or any of your community has answers, Hey, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Find me. <laughs> Link is in the show notes. We will make sure that you are easily accessible for all those reasons and just great to connect with you, Sandy. And I hope that other people do too. Before we close out, I do have my people first questions because you're more than a marketer and you shared with us sort of your journey, which has been fascinating and a little bit more about you in terms of your music. So I have three quick questions for you and we'll okay. round the conversation out. First question for you, Sandy, is uh, have you picked up any new hobbies in the last few years since COVID? Not new hobbies, but new relationships with existing hobbies. So I, you see an acoustic guitar in the background um, here on my wall. I got really into the electric guitar over over the last couple of years. And I, and I got into this um, electric guitar pedal obsession so these are things you plug your guitar into and then they plug into the amp and then you get all kinds of groovy groovy sounds so yeah i've been i've been really enjoying that quite a bit yeah 
my dad played uh, the guitar when I was growing up and he had all the things. He had the slider and he had the pedals and he had, mm. yeah. So, and three, like three different guitars. One was, one was acoustic and then another one was a Les Paul. And so I oh, yeah. grew up listening and yeah, I, I loved when he just finagled, like when he wasn't trying to play a song or read music and he was just playing around was just so fun to listen to. Yeah. We call that noodling. Yeah. Noodling. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. Uh, if you could be with your team, this is always a tricky one for my music people. So um, I appreciate that. It might take you a second to get there, but if you could be with your team and you could all be hanging out together and listening and brainstorming and what song would you want playing overhead to set the vibe? Uh, such a good question. Um, and you're right. It's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to go with groove is in the heart by delight. I don't know if you know it, but, mm -hmm. uh, it's an old, like a, a 1990s, um, like disco -y, uh, dance tune and be ready, be ready to rock your, rock your booty. Cause it's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite groovy. Yeah, that's awesome. Home. My daughter yeah. loves a good dance party, so I'm gonna rock that out tomorrow. You can't that. sit there and not move. You have to ag actually get up and dance when you hear it. And and I feel that way about our team because I just love them so much, and they're so groovy and so cool, and uh, they make me want to get up and dance. I think that's the best thing about brainstorm. Sometimes you got to move it out. You got to got it. You got, got it. Last question for you, Sandy. If you could travel to anywhere in the world without any red tape or long lines or booster shots for all of the things, where would you go and why? Also a very difficult question because the world is very large, but I would have to say somewhere I haven't been before, the Maldives. Because yeah. I love water. Uh, I'm named after a beach. So of course I love the water and the ocean. And so they, um, it's a great snorkeling. You could just jump off where they have like hotels that are on the water. You just your little hotel room, you just jump into the water any time of day or night. Oh, yes, that's where I'd go. What beach? Were you named after a specific beach or? Well, Sandy, you know, the name Sandy. I joke. I'm not really named after a beach, oh. but. My husband yeah. and I met it, met on a beach. So I always sort of like am fascinated with all the different beaches. And like we talked about maybe naming our, giving our kids a Hawaiian name for that reason. But we didn't. We didn't go yeah, there. well, there's yeah. a lot of great Hawaiian names to check out. But, uh, we yeah. did name our house. Guernsey has this funny quick story. Guernsey does have this funny thing where um, you don't have a house number. You get to name your house. Oh, wow. So That's it's always really fun giving addresses to people. They get very confused. They're like, and your house number? I'm like, no, no, no. It's, it's Ohana. <laughs> That's the name, of the, the name of the house. And so That's so we cool. Did. Oh, that's a great name. We did name the house a Hawaiian name for that reason, but yeah. Ohana, doesn't it mean um, family? Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Love but, it. But yeah, Sandy, this was awesome. I'm so grateful. Thank you for joining me and for sharing of all of the things. Yeah. If you need anything else, just let me know. I will. Okay. That was my conversation with Sandy Hawk. If you need to identify your own product marketing fit and ensure you're launching something ready to launch, then connect with Sandy. Her link is in the show notes. Oh, one of those conversations. I was so sad and so good. Thank you so much, Sandy, for joining me. And thank you to our listeners. If you found this episode helpful, please like, subscribe, and share. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our agency that accelerates the mission of cybersecurity vendors via SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketinginc.com to apply.